Hello and welcome to HireWire, our resource solutions podcast series in which we explore the broad sweep of the world of work. As the COVID-19 pandemic continues to disrupt nearly every aspect of our professional and personal lives, these podcasts are going to delve into various topics from mental health to employment law, diversity and inclusion, and ultimately whether you can report your children for breaking your laptop to HR. I'm Pete Donaldson, the Head of Sales for the EMEA and US Regions at Resource Solutions, and today I'm joined by Alistair Dornan, Director of Organisational and Wellbeing Consultancy at Gallagher, an international group of insurance companies. Alistair has considerable experience in healthcare consultancy, large-scale corporate projects, research, revenue growth strategy. I could go on and on. Specialities, Alistair, I think, are global wellness, productivity management, talent development, organisational effectiveness, and supporting and driving improvements in human capital investments. Does that sound about right? Sounds about right. I'm sure my mother would love to hear that. Story. <laughs> so, look, welcome and thanks for joining me on today's podcast. So, Thank you, Peter. Really appreciate it. Uh, so today we want to talk about the wider impacts of a lived people experience. And I think what I really mean by that is how our people, and, and not just our employees, but our people in general experience our organisations and the difference between the sort of external viewpoint and how we present ourselves to the market as to what it's actually like when you work for a company. So I'd like to use your expertise to talk about how people experience our companies when they actually interact with us and the effects that that can then have on attraction, engagement, retention, productivity. And hopefully we can leave our listeners with some takeaway points that will allow them to drive change in their organisations. Sound good? Sounds good to me. Perfect. Right. So the first question I want to ask you, Alistair, is it's, it's a burning one for me, is I've often heard you talk about a long winter of uncertainty, and I'd really like you to explain what you mean by that and talk our listeners through it. Yeah, for sure. Thank, thanks, Peter, and and thanks everyone for for tuning in to listen today. And and look, long winter of uncertainty, it, more than just a great marketing phrase, right? You know, this absolutely talks to the challenges that we've faced, and certainly from our perspective, as we rode through 2020, we got to kind of that Q3, Q4 point, and I have to say, for me, a lot of leaders seem to think that was it done. News of the vaccine was coming in, um, but we were hearing. A very different story coined the phrase long winter of uncertainty and, and look didn't it just get an awful lot more uncertain this week uh, with the latest announcements not just in England but I think all across the UK of further restrictions further changes let me maybe by answering that give an example or use the UK's example of what's happening in almost every territory around the world right now uh, to my mind there's an emergence of five challenges Pete that have real consequences for HR and business leaders in the UK. Um, the first, obviously, we've got the more virulent variant of COVID-19. That means faster transmission. It means greater workplace transmission risk. And, and let's not lose sight of the fact that health and safety executive, public health authorities throughout the UK, that's their big focus. How are you managing workplace transmission risk? Second is the expansion of the stricture restrictions. Excuse me. <clears throat> It looks like the UK is now in a lockdown, probably reasonably through to March. That's got significant consequences. I know we were talking earlier, just yeah. you know, uh, looking after children. I'm, I'm homeschooling. My wife and I are homeschooling. At some point this morning, we'll hear cocker spaniels and probably teenagers just walk through behind me. Uh, so apologies in advance. Um, there's a growing risk of workplace litigation. And I think that's a real concern for any HR and business leaders right now. One of the fastest growing web page registrations of Q4 2020 
were about workplace litigation lawyers preying on that uncertainty. Fourth for me is around the continued operational uncertainty. And actually, I don't think that gets enough airtime, Pete. How do you keep your supply chain going? How do you keep the production line open? How do you keep your workplaces open and functioning, uh, particularly when that's important for you as an organization? And then and finally, you mentioned at the top about um, mental health. I, I broaden that to my fifth point around employee confidence and anxiety. Is it actually safe for people to be at work? And many of the HR and business leaders, Pete, that I've spoke to uh, thought that the end of 2020 meant the end of tough choices, tough decisions, tough consequences. But the reality is that that long winter of uncertainty is here. We're going through it now, and it probably brings with it a spring of uncertainty too. Yeah, no, I, I kind of, I, I completely agree with that. And it, it, you know, it's so interesting to to look at some of those things that can change there. You know, we, we're all very excited about the the prospect of the vaccine, the original prospect of like five days at Christmas of seeing families. And, you know, even if you look at the advertising now for the majority of holiday companies, they're out there saying, you know, the vaccine's here, book your summer holiday. But with still, a, you can cancel 30 days beforehand and we can retrim and we can do all these other things. Because again, it's that, um, it ties in your point, operational uncertainty. It's the financial resilience that's associated with those businesses, not just keeping the production line open, but but ensuring that actually are their products fit for market? Have they got the right people in place? And there's a big part of me feels that's going to tie in heavily to the skills agenda and, and how quickly, you know, the the statistics over 90% of the UK needing to be upskilled in the next 10 years. But is that going to become the next eight years or seven years or six years? Because actually, this is fundamentally accelerated all of the change that's been happening right now. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and, and we haven't talked about Brexit. Um, but, no. you know, great week with the deal was done. Well done. Um, I haven't read all 1,561 pages of it. But from <laughs> what I've, I've picked up, it feels like we've gotten to the best possible place we could have done as an alternative to not having a deal. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that has big consequences. I like the fact you've mentioned very early there about the skills and the need to uh, perhaps reskill organizations. Um, I hadn't appreciated it was quite that high percentage, but certainly you know, when I'm talking to HR leaders, that, that whole need to often look at this period of crisis and crisis management that's been so exhausting for people, let's use that as an opportunity, an opportunity to rethink the employee value proposition and actually, oftentimes, from a survival perspective, an opportunity to rethink business models. You know, mm -hmm. A great example that came out recently, and, and I know they're doing it for free, and I'm, and I'm, I'm pretty sure they're doing it from a position of uh, very genuine care. But, but I love the story about BrewDog, who um, made their pub facilities across the UK. Look, they're shut. They can't use them, but they've made them available to government and NHS to yeah. create vaccine centers, <clears throat> large open spaces, huge fridge and freezer capacity. Um, that's clever thinking, and, and that whole need to be agile uh, is really important right now. It is, and really good advertising yesterday said if Carlsberg did vaccine centres, and it was a BrewDog vaccine centre, how good was that advertising? <laughs> so, Very clever. Yeah, absolutely right there in terms of in terms of everything. And in fact, you, you touched on a point there, and I'll probably come back to it later on. But the, um, Andrew, who's the CEO of Route to Work, often talks about the undiscoverables. And I think that that's going to become really important now about how we find and access some of this talent. And, and we're bringing in a completely different demographic of worker from a different background into our businesses and how that we 
how that is going to impact on the whole experience, like both for employees and how we transition out to it. So look, I want to, I'll pick that up later on, but I wanted to just get into sort of your main trends, like what, what's happening out there. You spend a lot of time talking to organizations about their consultancy and what's happening, you know, within that marketplace. So, Yeah, look, I, quite, quite a few trends and, and I want to chunk those up into some that are perhaps relevant <laughs> for the audience here today. And I, I, you mentioned we're getting to talk to people. I'm, I'm really fortunate. I host the Gallagher HR Director Forum. And it's a, a group of you know, grown up HR directors and business leaders. We, we meet regularly. I must admit, um, our first meeting was in March 2020. That was a tough session. Uh, and then it's been virtual kind of since then. But I've been fascinated to look at how they've responded to mm -hmm. the initial challenges that then focused on the return to the workplace. How do you get your people back into work after the initial shock? We've been looking at then redefining strategy. And then as we exited 2020, and I'll, I'll come on to this in a bit more detail, the big focus across all sectors, and I have to say that HR director group, you know, they're from all sectors across the UK, unilaterally, uniformly, uh, is about re-engaging their workforce. And, and I would put that into you know, the biggest trend is about the people experience. You know, those millions of little things from onboarding to tech that we use, um, to, to learning, to culture, everything that makes up the day-to-day the -day experience of your organization. Um, and the realization that we're in this for the long haul um, and the, the kind of employer-funded campus or workspace, that probably isn't going to be around for a little while. And, you know, let me maybe big, take, take that people experience, break it down into three or four areas that perhaps will be more relevant for, for individuals. Mm -hmm. So if we think about people experiences, how you're helping people to feel different about work and how you front up as an organization, um, the four areas I think drive that, and certainly our research shows this. Uh, the first is, I mentioned the, the relevance of the employer-funded campus, mm -hmm. the emergence of a borderless workforce. I'm fascinated with that piece, Pete, right yeah. now, where we've got, you know, I, I, I hold my hand up. I used to spend six and a half thousand pound a year. I would do four hours a day commuting every day to a great office location in London. I could collaborate and do all that. I don't anymore. This, this is this is me now. You know, yeah. this has been coming up for a year. Um, and actually, if I can do my job just as well from here, 80 miles to the west of London, why can't I do that from the Isle of Wight or Cornwall or a lakeside in Annecy? And I'm seeing that is a real trend. It's it's really it is only small at the moment, but genuinely a good number of HR leaders coming to me saying, I, "My workforce, they're, they're dispersed. How do I manage that? My benefits, the policies, all of that piece of work." And I've got a great example. Maybe we'll touch on later on about some work a colleague of mine is doing for um, tech firms, in fairness, mm -hmm. out, out in San Francisco to rethink their whole employee value proposition. Let me move on, though. Um, I want to touch on um, other big trend that pushed through um, the whole uh, uh, environment, sustainability and governance, the ESG agenda, Pete. Um, that aligned to how you front up with your organization's purpose, the, why you do what you do rather than how you do it or what you do. That inclusion diversity story, particularly with the Black Lives Matter thing, I, you know, that whole agenda really exploded in 2020. It, you know, would have been an incredible uh, story just on its own, but against the backdrop of COVID uncertainty, I think that's critically important for organizations. Maybe get into that a bit more later. Um, 
And then that creating a shared experience. And I'm hearing an awful lot of HR directors now talking about how do you create the safe workplace? And, and don't forget the workplace could be here at home. And you know, I'm in a very fortunate position. I, I have a separate room that's mine. I get to work here. It's great. I've been working with colleagues where they're in a bedsit or they're in a flat share and they're working on an ironing board. And so how do you drive that shared experience as your organization, your brand, your values? How do you get the right tech to people? Yeah. And then increasingly um, developing on that shared experience, developing an effective testing protocol. Mm. You know, the number of organizations that have been struggling with how do I get people back in? How do I encourage them? How do I get rid of that anxiety and uncertainty around it? And you know, the, the testing protocol is is something that should be at the forefront in my mind uh, of a number of HR business leaders. Because look, even if you haven't got key workers coming back in, and you have your at some point you're going to open them up. And that that curve, as you mentioned, the vaccine curve, um, we're still three, six, twelve months away from 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 any form of you know, no matter what the news is telling us. And I think the story is going to break soon that. We're just not going to get to 70, 80 percent of the population until back end of 21, if we're lucky. Yeah. But no. the final piece for me is around the, the whole leader in the organization, the, the leader culture and burnout. So, you know, relevance of the employer funded campus, ESG purpose, creating a shared experience and that leader culture and burnout all dial up into what does your people experience look like? And, and those for me are some of the real trends. Yeah, that's uh, it's perfect. It's interesting. Borderless workforce. I know it's something that that uh, you know I've been involved in looking at. Is actually right. even wider than than just you know the, the you know our whole. Like, I'm with you. Spent a lot of time traveling in and out of London and at a significant expense to do so. Uh, and now I quite happily reside in Yorkshire, and apparently that still goes quite well. Um, but we we've been going. Um, We've been looking at some of our European offices and working with some clients across Europe because a it's not just about like you know, do you need a physical building in Poland or Prague or, or France, um, but then can you use workers from you know can you collaborate with global international teams and how do you how do you gain access to those teams and that talent and and you know it ties into your your shared experience how do you create that experience with people working in different cultures but it's also opening up this whole raft of talent you know we're short on digital skills we need access to it the contractor numbers and stuff the, the numbers of, that we're paying people drive up and up and up because of the niche talent and the skill but actually if all of a sudden you you know you're already working remotely anyway so what's the difference between working remotely an hour behind or an hour ahead or two hours behind or two hours ahead but then you know it's not just how do you find that talent and engage it but how do you get the equipment how do you set up the company values how do you ensure that experience is looked after because you know to put it the other way, if you're the one person in that country, you know, you could feel certainly very isolated. And and how do you get your get your wrapper around that? So I think it's, it's I think a lot of organizations are playing catch up to that point. And and that's why I raised that that last trend around the leader culture and burnout is to, to my mind and certainly my experience, a lot of leaders are just not set up. We haven't trained a mm. generation of leaders in the workplace to to manage um agile remote teams that you may never meet you know your onboarding process is based on coming into the office picking up your phone getting your content you know all that that here's your laptop that that's gone so that leader and culture side of things are really important and actually mentioned about the hr directors they've been working with recently for a lot of them 
they've been found out. They just hadn't thought about it in this context. They realized that 21 is all about how do you manage people in a pure, true remote sense. Mm, it's interesting. I mean, you, you, you look, you've mentioned leader burnout a couple of times. So I just want to pick up on that, Alistair. What, what's your thoughts on that? Is, is that the pressure that you think has been put on people, not just, I suppose, to pick up remote management and how you delve into these new ways of working? But like, is, is it beyond that then? Is it, do you think it's a stress and the pressure of the senior leaders and having the general of all these adoptions? Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. I was asked, uh, I was asked just before the kind of end of 2020, you know, is, is leader burnout going to be the big problem for 21? And my response was, no, it, it's a problem right now. Um, look, we're a global firm. And, and I, I think back to March 2020, um, colleagues of mine who were working out in Australia, Singapore were already citing, and they were maybe six to eight weeks ahead of the UK and Europe uh, at that time in the pandemic. Um, so they'd been into lockdown, they were probably just pushing through. And um, they were citing real issues where leaders, you know, we were asking our leaders to take people into lockdown, new skill sets, that, that the exhaustion, as I mentioned earlier, that exhaustion of crisis management. Um, we were asking our people to manage, uh, sorry, our leaders to manage our people through lockdown. Um, and actually that, that left an awful lot of gaps for leaders, Pete, you know, mm -hmm. where I'm used to seeing you. I'm used to you being in the office. I'm measuring your inputs rather than your outputs. And I think that's brought quite a significant change for an awful lot of organizations. And then, you know, increasingly, we've been asking our leaders to, to drive performance through either the return to work or more likely the case in the UK recently through that uncertainty. And I, I, I think that combines with the, the change in the nature of work, the change in the workplace, has really put an intense amount of pressure onto, on, onto leaders. But look, here's an interesting thing for me is that not only have we had that against the backdrop in the UK, and I think Europe-wide Europe is about 45 million, but in the UK we've had 9 million people on mm. furlough. We've got whole industries facing a very uncertain future. And against that backdrop, if you're a leader, you're not going to put your hand up and, and say, hey, I, I, I need help. That fascinates me because stigma remains an issue. And our research shows that around 90%, depends on your industry, but around 90% of people have now permanently swapped their commute time for more work time. Hmm. I'm guilty of that. I, I remember that was sort of March, April, May. I mean, don't tell my boss if they're dialing into this, but yeah, I remember March, April, May was fantastic last year because I, was, I wasn't getting up at half five to get a train. I was maybe getting up at seven, breakfast with my kids, you know, I'm not going to lie to you, I was back in the office at half six this morning you know, yeah. because I've got stuff on. I was on phones to the, the, the US last night at eight o'clock. You know, so I've, I've definitely swapped my commute time for more work time. When I was talking, I mean, maybe just give an idea to some of the, the micro impact of this. Um, I was speaking with two uh, of the major, well, one of the health major health insurers in the UK and one of the big group risk insurers. And, and between the two of them, they, they provide an awful lot of mental health service and, and demand for mental health services is up 30% in 2020 over 2019. So not only is stigma an issue, and we're definitely seeing that burnout, um, people are behaving differently around absence. You know, they're at home. A lot of people are at home. They've got nowhere to go, right? You know, so <laughs> that's a challenge. And then getting access to services, Pete, is, is, is a big issue. And, and certainly if I you know, think about the work I've been doing with a lot of organizations, particularly in Q4 2020, if I look at our order book through Q1, Q2, 
it's all around um, the leader of the culture and certainly that mental health support systems. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, I uh, I know what you mean about the commute time, the work time, how it, uh, and the, the the boundaries have gone as well. So you leave the office, you know, we all, you know, quite a few of us were guilty of, you know, an early finish on a Friday to go and have a quick drink after work before you headed home, you know, that, but that was still seen as part of your working day. You were on the, you know, you're on the tube, you're on the train, you couldn't get signals, so you'd read a book, you'd browse your phone, you'd have yeah. that disconnect whereas decompression time yeah yeah and you, and you just miss that now and i think that that's one of the things that I, and interestingly i think i read a stat just before christmas and i cannot remember the exact number but it was about 100 million holiday days they reckon have been lost in 2020 because people just haven't taken time off work because again i've got nowhere to go no one to see nothing to do might as well work and then companies still say use it or lose it you know yeah, that's a, actually, I hadn't realized it was as, as large as that, but I know from my own personal experience, you know, I, I've, I've got three kids. Um, my wife uh, works incredibly hard. She's in the, well, she's actually in the vaccine industry, um, so has been doing the proper work next door. Um, I never carry time over, and I carried 10 days into yeah. into 21. But what was interesting is, and just talking about Gallagher here, you know, we're an employer too, and really fortunate, our CEO kind of gets, definitely gets the whole people agenda piece. And we just can't launch said to people, you know, carry over, you're entitled to five days, double that, carry 10 days over, take them when you want. We just, you know, I, I think we, we've got to rethink how we approach um, our line management, how we approach the, the fronting up, I mentioned that earlier, that cultural fronting up of our brand values. And, and I love the fact we've just been able to cut through a lot of that noise. Look, just take your time, carry it over, use it when you want to. Um, it, it just makes our people feel so much better. It's, it's decision making, but it goes, you know, it goes again into training our leaders how to think agile, how to be brave and bold and make decisions, because actually, in a lot of organisations, the power to do that would have to be a decision by committee. And, you know, we've all we've both worked in organisations where you'd have to have 25 meetings that all lasted two hours each to get to the point where you may or may not decide to do something. So, yeah. um, you know, I think it's it, it's encouraging to see that, you know, I practice what you preach type mentality when you're out speaking to yeah. clients, you know, you've got it. You've got to live those values yourself. So I do want to pick up on some other stuff because I am conscious of time here, Alistair, and we could talk all day. I know we could easily. So. Um, so you mentioned ESG is one of your yes. you know, one of your big big areas for looking at, and that the environmental sustainability and governance piece. So, how do you think that's translation translating, I suppose, into an organisational EVP uh, and actually their message to the market? And I suppose what the next follow-on question will be about when we're looking at a people-based experience of so the communities we serve, the customers we interact with, and, and, and our people as well. Like, how, how do you think the whole thing is inter like sort of interlinked now? Well, let me pull. Interesting how we pull both of those together. And, and yeah. look, let me start with I don't think there's any organization out there who genuinely, at its core, doesn't have some form of environmental sustainability and governance agenda. Mm -hmm. uh, most organizations I can speak to, they will be able to signpost um, whether it's policy or brand value or behaviors or expectations um, that, that, that would it touch on an, an ESG agenda. That, so that's nothing new. What I think is new, Pete, is um, the wave of expectation, mm. both from a market perspective, the industry perspective, and, and then from, and I love that fact you're pulling in the people piece, of course we would do, but you know when we're looking at our people who already work for those organizations, 
you know, the, the sense of pride, that advocacy that comes from my organization, a committee to ESG. Um, I think 2020 brought that into focus. And I've been you know, working with a number of organizations who've been scrambling to catch up. You know, for most, I think they have governance in place, they'll have policies that sit around it. But the big explosion, of course, has been around inclusion and diversity. And I think the you know, the, the, the sad scenes that we saw throughout summer 2020 around George Floyd and then the really important growth of the Black Lives Matter movement um, have, have really brought into focus whether organizations are fully living and breathing that. And, you know, to my mind, one of the most important uh, perspectives an organization can take right now, Pete, is look forward six to 12 months time when you're interviewing talent for your organization and they ask you, how did you treat your people during the pandemic? You've <laughs> got to have a good answer. Because the reality is that's going to be part of the differentiation for organizations from here on in. How you treat your people, how you stand up and demonstrate those values. So, you know, ESG to my mind is more than just a set of policy and procedure. It's genuinely how you front up uh, into your market when you're thinking about your people and talent. Yeah, and I think I think that point around how you how you treat your people is, you know, it's going to stay for a long time now. I think that's now going to be ingrained because it's the one point of reference that everybody could be, can look back at. Did you just, you know, did you furlough everybody? Did you not? Did you top up wages? Did you not? How did you treat companies? And, and, you know, if if I was going to go and join a new company, you're going to go, just let me just get into this. You know, it's beyond, it's beyond what you do. And I think that, I, I mean, my sort of feeling is if you see the rise of the, you know, the just 100 in the US, where it's kind of a, a rival to the effectively, you know, the, the FTSE or the Fortune 100, whereas it's looking at the most just companies, the companies that serve their communities, their employees. Well, you know, read stories of Microsoft canteens being open and providing meals that because they had to be open anyway. So they're providing meals to the homeless. You know, I think it's happening across a number of big um, Silicon Valley type organizations. And, and it's really good to see. But it's, it's it, I think it's. It's not just how you treat your employees, is it? It's how you treat the communities which sit around you and then and how you deal with your customers who, you know, we, we spoke about it at the, uh, earlier on before we, before we came on here around, you know, the supply chain issues that are being affected by mm-hmm. some of these companies. You know, how do you treat your supply chain? How you how do you do all that sort of stuff? I think I think it's all interlinked into, you know, ultimately what will be in the future, which is the decision for somebody to come and join your company, a client to want to work with you, a person to want to work for you, will be lucky at, at, at your wider impact than just, you know, some lovely words on a charter on your front door. Well, I, I would take that stage further, actually, Pete, because I think you're right. It's not just about people wanting to come and work for your organization, but it's the hundreds or thousands of people that already work for your organization who are choosing to reskill, bring their all, and stay within your organization. You know, they're there for a reason. Um, and actually, you, I look back on on a couple of projects been involved with over the last year where a number of organizations realized that they probably were getting it wrong. And um, maybe just a quick example, I, I did a wonderful interview with the chief executive of Connell's estate agents um, very early on, probably in April 2020. And I love this story. I just picked up a story that they decided they were going to keep all their people employed, uh, keep paying their bonuses, keep keep them keep them involved. So you had launched their shop that it all came back to purpose. Mm-hmm. And you know, the chief executive said, it's in our DNA, we do the right thing. They kept 7,000 people. Obviously, the market then exploded yes. and they've been in a great position, unlike a competitor who 
got rid of everybody afterwards. And, you know, they're, they're good. It, that's a generational disconnect for them, to be honest with mm -hmm. you. So you're absolutely right. I think that sense of purpose, not only in attracting new talent, but also in retaining your existing is critically important. Okay, so I mean that's that's a lovely lovely segue into I think that's what a smart organisation is doing is talking about purpose, thinking about who we are as a company and leaving it. What are you seeing from other smart organisations, Alistair? That you you know have you seen any really good examples of best practice across you know the whole plethora of how we engage, treat, and, and drive that lived experience of our organisation? Yes, yeah, so I've seen a couple of um, I've seen a couple of extreme examples. I'm not going to mention any names of this one because we're kind of the running through the projects as we are. But I I, I sorry as we talk, but but look. A couple of organizations, great colleague of mine, Matt Frost, has been working with out in the US. Uh, they're high tech firms and you know, the, the numbers are around about, they're spending about $20 million on their campus. A bit like you mentioned with Microsoft facilities, right? They're, they're spending about $20 million a year on their campus because that's the differentiator. You know, the ping pong tables, the slides, the massage, Reiki, chef on site, all that kind of cool stuff. And it just doesn't exist now. No, the people don't work in Sanford anymore. They're in Delaware. They're in Annecy. They're, you know, I'm not sure they would be in Delaware, but you know, you, you, you get my idea. They're dispersed. Yeah. So they're they're having to divert that spend now meaningfully into their people experience, and we're working with them to then help through. Well, what does the people experience look like? They're having to rethink what it looks like in minute detail, from onboarding to tech to the creation of that shared culture and, and community that I mentioned earlier on. I mean, I, I think that's fascinating to see. At the other extreme, um, I was working with, I say working with, actually, I, I chose not to work with this organization, actually, uh, just before Christmas, where we were working through, and I was talking about testing protocols, we were working through, they're a manufacturing facility. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here in the UK, if you have more than one, um, uh, workplace transmission of mm -hmm. COVID in a two-week period, uh, you have to, uh, well, it was notifiable to Public Health England, they've reduced that responsibility now, but it, it, it becomes an issue, you need an action plan to yeah. recover, otherwise you run the risk of effectively being shut down, because you've got to put your people home for two weeks and stuff like that, a complete nightmare. And the HR director's response to me was, well, do you know what, it's just temps, we'll, we'll get other temps in. Now, I, I use that as, as, as a counterpoint to say that, you know, there are still, and I'm, I don't want to uh, denigrate the, that individual, they are in exceptionally challenging times. It, it's a particular issue for them right now. Survival is the issue. Um, mm -hmm. But the reality is that you no longer, and I'm talking here about, you know, HR and business leaders, you no longer control the narrative. Um, I, I, very, very quickly, um, hashtag homeworking was one of the fastest trending uh, hashtags <laughs> on Instagram and social media uh, in, 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 in 2020. And it was your people, you know, taking to their phones, you know, this is me working at home. My work provided me with $500 or 600 pound or whatever to just buy a desk and home. And you've got other people saying, hashtag homeworking, I'm on a, an ironing board and a shared flat. So that whole need to curate your, your role out there is, is really important and, you know, there is many good examples, Pete, as there probably are bad examples. Well, yeah, and I think that's, you know, it's interesting. You use the word curate there. We often talk about, you know, employer brand and, you know, we have, you know, some companies spend a little money on it. Some people spend millions on it, you know, the snazzy videos, the way we do it. But what you can't stop is people creating a hashtag and getting momentum on there. And it, 
you know, to, to your point just there about temps, it only takes it, only, it takes something to be picked up there by a local news outlet. And before you know it, you know, what your company is known for or famous for is completely the opposite of what you wanted it to be famous for. And as we as we're in a much more connected world and people are sat at their, phone, their computers, their phones all day, every day, you know, certainly those that can work from home. You know, it just it, it change happens so quickly and it can come and see you and you can curate your brand if you can't control some of the, the aspects of it. But what you can control is how you behave as an organization, because I yeah. always often believe that if you treat people in the right way that, you know, you will get you will get the right response back from them. Yeah, it yeah, goes I completely agree. And, and, you know, it's you, you lose an actor. A quick, quick aside. Um, I had to call my, um, yeah, I, I'll use the name. I, I had to call Sky. So I, yeah, I'm a Sky subscriber. I won't bore you in the details to why I had to call. And I spoke to a very brilliant lady called Charlene. Um, and Charlene was just, she was brilliant working through it. And I said, Charlene, just out of interest, where are you right now? She says, I'm at home. Like, what, what's it been like? Because I'm always fascinated with this. What's it been like for you? And she, she just, spoke for five, 10 minutes. I'm sure she had a rap time challenge that she had, but she talked for five, 10 minutes about how fantastic Sky had been uh, for her from the get-go with her communication and engagement, checking she was all right, checking in, did she have the right kit with her, managing the workflow. And I thought that's a great example of an organization where you've mm -hmm. created, I don't know, 30,000 people, I think, across you know, Europe now, 30,000 people eulogizing about the decisions that you made. And Pete, you mentioned at the top of this, I think the ability to make decisions is to make the right decisions. That's the differentiator right now. Yeah, you know, and, and make a decision, you know, ultimately, mm. you know, goes back to my back to my sort of training in my army days. You know, the only the worst decision you can make is no decision. No decision. And I think that that, you know, that's stunned into inefficient, stunned into inefficiency type thing that comes in when you see, you know, a whirlwind of challenges in it. It probably it goes back to the top about how we drive that culture, how we train our leaders, how we give them the resilience, how we allow them to adapt. Because if you can't adapt and change constantly and, and process information, you know, you're, you you can end yourself in a in a lot of trouble. And I think I just want to finish on. I've noticed that mobility of talent is back on the agenda now. For a while, everybody hunkered down, sat where they were. Hey, I'm being paid. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. But I've noticed a lot of movement around in the market at the minute. You see the same sort of thing? Yeah, for sure. Um, in fact, let me go back to the Gallagher HR Director Forum. I, I was I was quite surprised. I'll be honest with you, I was quite surprised. Um, I think the last session we had maybe 20. Uh, we've got a running cycle, maybe 40 HR directors that, that, that joined that. But, you know, certainly some of the big um, uh, uh, sort of headlines that were coming out of that last session was, look, it, it's business as usual in an unusual world. I've got to address performance. I've got to address mental health. I've got to address skills development. Um, I've got to address the transformation, change and leadership agenda. And certainly I've got to adapt new operating models because people are leaving, people are joining, I'm back to recruiting. Um, and, and I was surprised at some of the mass recruitment that I was beginning to hear, you know, people definitely looking to, to, to get back onto. Um, second, a quick story um, for one of the pharma companies. Um, I was really impressed to hear their HR director taking a long-term view, kind of November, December last year, saying, you know, we've got a gap of 300 digital data experts in our business. Um, I won't mention the name because uh, it's kind of sensitive stuff, but uh, we've got a gap of 300, but it's never been a better time for us to recruit. So do you know what? We're going to go out and do talent banking. And I haven't heard talent banking used since 2010. So it was quite refreshing to hear organizations taking a strategic view on um, where they need to get the talent from 
and and how they can bring that mobility back in line. Yeah, I mean, what what I what some one of my friends is very works for Kinetic, and he was talking about the they doubled their graduate intake this year. They doubled their, as no one said, graduates probably they're aware of their early careers intake. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Because again double down and invest in on the future of talent you know we know we're going to be here we know we need skills to do it so let's so let's capitalize on doing that and I think it it ties into everything else we've talked about today around talent is on the move people will still move around and, and really the people you want in your organization will be looking to see how you behave what you do and how you represent and I think you know for me you want to know how it affects the communities the people the organization and actually I get what it says in front of your door, you know, the big insurance company, we all know the story of a big insurance company about trust, and it was one of the biggest fraud cases in the UK, in the US. So, you know, it's one of those things, Is what it says above the door is that actually what's inside the inside the tin, I suppose, for want of a better word. So it's, it's going to happen. But look, I'm conscious of time, Alistair. I think if you could give me your top three takeaways for people listening to this, please. So for me, the top three takeaways from 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 this conversation, like you've you've got to focus on getting back to business as usual. Crisis management is exhausting for everyone, and, and no matter how you're, you're you're planning that, get back to that as as, as quickly as you can. Second, I, I genuinely believe any HR and business leader right now needs to take a more pragmatic view on their leadership cadre. What are you doing to support? your leaders right now because that burnout without your leaders who else is going to tell the stories that keep your people engaged committed and focused on and you mentioned this before you know the the, the people in the communities that we serve and then third I, I genuinely believe that there's a focus on the human consequence of the jobs and skill crisis uh the, the, that we're either facing into or benefiting from at the moment um i i think that we're, we're facing up to a potential crisis for those at the bookends of the career, you know, those that are joining, you mentioned about some of the you know, um, early stage graduate programs, but also those that are perhaps facing um, maybe little or no connection to the workplace uh, as they as they transition through 21. Well, that's great. So look, that is all we have time for today. So thanks, Alistair. I love the discussions. I love the liveliness of our general conversations. And I think as I alluded to, we could go all day. Uh, thanks to anyone who's listened to us today. I hope you enjoyed our talk and, and our little chat. And if you'd like to listen to more insights of the world of work, you can find our high wire series uh, on our website, www.resourcesolutions.com. Thanks for listening.